0: Welcome to Rollin' Bones, the Osteopathic Podcast. We are back for season two. I'm your host, Dr. James, along with your other host, Dr. Dante. What's good? And uh, we are so excited this year. uh, We're grateful for all of the support you guys have given us thus far, and we're looking forward to this next season. We've got all sorts of things on the tap that uh, you're gonna love. And our next season, season two, is going to all uh, be about being drug last. Now, let me explain this a little bit. Osteopathic physicians early on were called drugless physicians, along with a few other specialized health um, practitioners, because we specialized in treating and healing the body without the use of quote-unquote therapeutics. And that tradition continues on to some extent in our field today, but We recognize the value of uh, medications in their context, but we don't always go to them first. So we're going to be talking about that throughout season two. Hence, we're calling this season Drug Last. And we're starting this episode talking about how we go about taking care of you without needing drugs at least first, second, or possibly even third. The thing that should
1: set this all off, the, the, the thing we're going to need to set the stage, right? Mm-hmm. Osteopathy wasn't originally conceived of as a branch of medicine. When it was first chartered, right. when uh, Still first got the thing that says, hey, you can open up a school now, we were actually a school of philosophy, which kind of tells you where his head was
0: at. Well, and that was the first charter for the school. It was based on a school of philosophy, not a school of medicine. It took a second charter. And some lawyers saying, hey, we need to fix this or change this or, or whatever with this, that it became a school of medicine. But Dr. Still's initial approach was really philosophical as much as anything.
1: Right. And I figure if we're going to spend, you know, this episode, the rest of the season, so on and so forth, talking about how we do what we do, at some point we probably should make the word philosophy more than that thing you did once upon a time in college to get easy credits. Easy you know, credits. <laughs> easy credits.
0: Easy for you, not for the rest of us.
1: I'm saying I was a philosophy major. so uh, Well, yes, that yeah. was the
0: philosophy. indeed.
1: <laughs> True story, I was actually in an epistemology and a logic guy. Oh that yeah, that, for was, sure. that was my actual background, and then I lost the bet and became a doctor. so
0: Oh well, so you're a doctor of philosophy and mechanics.
1: You know if I got that far, I would be, but nah.
0: <laughs> We're not going the PhD route. Indeed, okay, indeed. but we are going to talk about how nature is uh, our nature is to be healthy. Our body is built to be healthy. And that was one of the basic premises of, of Dr. Still's approach is our body is meant to be healthy. Correct.
1: And that's, that's actually a very big deal because um, all of the thoughts, all of the decisions we made on how to treat the body thereafter were based on that, what you call a presupposition. A presupposition yes. being the thing you use to hey, presuppose to move behind the logic system. It's a thing that you take almost for granted. So one of the things Dr. Still took for granted was that the body's capable inherently of self-healing. All of his medical thoughts, all of his ideas on how to take care of a person were based around this idea that the body should be able to handle on its own secondary question, so why do people get sick? That's very different from the initial conception, which is the body is frail, we need to fix it. It's the body is good, something's in the way.
0: Right, and recognizing these systems are built in to help us be healthy is key. Now, when we went to medical school, one of the big medical terms we had to learn was homeostasis. And that just means the body wants to stay in balance. But we forget that homeostasis, being in balance, extends to how we exist. And it is a powerful, powerful idea that the body will keep itself balanced and stable if we let it, if we give it the right tools, the right opportunities, the right um, uh, components, whether that be nutrition, exercise, uh, lack of stress or dealing with stress, all of those can help us maintain balance and thus health or return to balance if we get off balance.
1: Right, right. Notice this idea of balance. That's not, um, that's really different from the traditional thing, man, That's, that's real different. Because we don't, we almost take it for granted now. Hey, twenty first century medicine. We've come a long way. The whole lot of us, and this idea of holistic care. This idea of um, you know the biopsychosocial thing, right, which right. is I guess fancy corporate talk, or not corporate. Uh, we'll say relatively pseudo scientific talk for what used to be tra- called holistic and or balance. You know, what I mean things of sure. that sort. The question is something like, what does it mean to be in balance at a technical level? Because we can use all the fun words we want. And at some point, what separates us from the guys who like rock crystals and whatnot? Because there is a difference somewhere in there.
0: <laughs> we see that every once in a while, yeah.
1: Right. And not to throw shade at the crystal, folks. I mean, a very, very specific subvariant. There is a difference between believing that the body's capable of self-healing and believing that the body can handle literally anything and everything because it's capable of self-healing. Right. This is not to say that disease is impossible. Clearly, people get sick. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a paycheck. However, the way we heal, the way we take care of it is just, it's coming from a different place.
0: Now, we talked last year about the Mississippi River and how that is a metaphor for how our body works and going back to that metaphor of a, of a river running through us we can see the recycling of nutrients from the seasonal flooding to the water uh, traveling out to the ocean and then evaporating into the atmosphere and then being rained down again and going to that idea of balance if you put a dam In the middle of that river, anywhere along that river, then you become static. If you don't allow water through that dam, you develop stasis and death as a result. Similar kind of um, idea with the body. If we have some kind of restriction somewhere, so now all of a sudden the lymph isn't draining, or the blood is not getting to a tissue, the tissue is going to die, or at least be unhealthy and sick.
1: Right. So those are actually because I, li- I, like, I like flexing my philosophy muscle every now and again. Yes. Those let's are, do it. Those are what you call, those are the actual presuppositions of our field. I guess presupposition one, nature is uh, good. He doesn't say that outright, right? But No, but in he order assumes to, it. Right, right. It's taken it for we granted. We can interpolate that from how he spoke. Right. Well, one of the things he does say, direct quote straight from his own writing, is nature is health. And health is a really weird word in the English language, man. Health means so many things, it basically means nothing when I tried to track down the etymology, the meaning, the evolution of the word, we did a lot of nerd stuff for the season, guys. Um, the word yeah, health good with that. <laughs> almost equals the good life. And I mean that right. in like the Henry David Thoreau kind of good life. in like Pond, Exactly, oh, we're going to the pond. Like I said, philosophy muscle, I can yes, flex it. Yes, let's do it. But health meant to have the good life. So what Still was saying in the language of his time period was something along the lines of, to be in line with nature is to be living the good life. And then the question became, what is that? So he studied a lot of straight up geology and ecology to make his conception of what a human was. That's Mm -hmm. why our metaphor for the body is the river. Um, That is one of the first big claims, this idea that to be healthy is to have free movement of fluid. What fluid? We're talking about blood and interstitium, in this case, lymph. As you said, if any of those things go in stasis, it's really easy to understand this one, guys. If your blood doesn't move, it's called either you know exsanguination, you lost it, or it clotted, that's called a heart attack, or a PE.
0: Or, or we call it asystole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad <laughs> things happen terms, when blood stops flowing, That's man. when the heart's
1: not moving the uh, blood anymore because the heart's not pumping anymore, and you're dead. Right, but the more subtle one is the interstitium. That's the river we like to talk about because if the blood is the thing that supplies the nutrients, the lymph is the thing that cleans up the drainage. and if you don't have a drainage system, what should have been a nice fertile field is swamp.
0: Right. If you, if you can't collect the garbage, your house becomes a landfill. And if your house becomes a landfill, it becomes toxic. I, I think about it from a computer standpoint. We have uh, code that collects garbage that's extra data that's collected and is not used. And it gums up the software. And if your computer starts running slow, it's because there's a lot of garbage collecting on your system. The way to get your system healthy again is to delete temporary files, um, rework your uh, hard drive, you know, you, you uh, clean out excess stuff so that your computer runs smoothly. Our body is really the same way. If we can't drain that cr- and that trash out and all of the metabolic byproducts, so the chemicals that happen from all the reactions when we're using our muscles and, and our organs, well, we're not going to feel great. Right, right.
1: In a very literal sense, if things get blocked up in the wrong places, you develop so much damage and inflammation, things begin to clot. The fully articulated pathophysiology for a heart attack, I'm not going to say it begins with lymph stasis, but is allowed to happen because of lymph stasis, which is a subtle difference, but that's a that's a big
0: difference. It's an important difference.
1: So those are the two big claims we have. The idea is nature is good. then. The idea is that the free fluid of movement, uh, the, the free movement of fluid is good. The next claim is that the movement of fluid in our body is regulated; rather, it's governed by the nervous and bony apparatus that we have. So the bones, the joints, are the actual things. That's the land through which things flow. But the nerves, this one doesn't really follow a body metaphor, um, an ecology metaphor. The nerves control the way all this stuff maneuvers and
0: runs, right? It communicates. It's our exactly. communication center. It's our network. Uh, a wired network, not a Wi-Fi. <laughs> exactly, yeah. This This is like, the, this is like Battlestar Galactica, this, man. There's yeah, no this Wi-Fi is, this here. This is old school, old yeah. school. No Cylons are going to come after this. Man. Oh, no, we went there.
1: That doesn't count as a spoiler because that's literally season one of episode <laughs> one. So <we're, laughs> we should be good, but we're, in we're case you all right. y'all didn't know. We're all right. So, I mean, that's that's our idea. That's, that's the claim that... Uh, Mr. Founderman made for us. It's nature is good. And in order to be healthy, we need to be in line with nature. Nature for us, meaning the free movement of fluid, what does it mean to move free? It is to have bones and nerves that move well. The question then should be, what does it mean to have bones and nerves that move well? And that actually was a really cool thing to tease out. His idea was that as long as we have good movement, as in rigorous activity, as long as we're doing the work that a farm guy in the middle of the frontier would do, and we eat surprisingly sparingly, I didn't expect this actually, when I was reading uh, Dry Bones the Living Man, specifically that book, yes. it came up that uh, still ate
0: remarkably and often. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, well, Oh, we're going to be heading there soon too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call that foreshadowing, guys. Well, and, and uh, that's a shout out to Michael Pollan as well. Eat, l- eat little, what is it? Eat very little, mainly plants. Eat food, very little, mainly plants. That's the quote I'm thinking of. Right,
1: right, right. So, he ate sparingly. He worked hard. And the idea was that as long as you ate sparingly and worked hard, then most of the time you wouldn't be sick, if not for mechanical maladies, because you know, all the kale in the world doesn't stop you from you
0: know oncoming traffic. And you can have all the kale in the world. I'll avoid that.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, true story. I tried to eat kale every meal straight for almost a year, maybe about two years. Your life was kale, one then. It? it was it was <laughs> kaleotic, yeah. Um, Oh, Dude, straight raw kale. Oh, Every, no, no every meal you, for you, you two years. That. It was, I mean, look, between the kale and the chicken, I got pretty ripped. I got pretty strong. It was not a
0: satisfactory way of being. Uh, I'll, I'll do the spinach every once in a while, but I'll leave you with the kale. <laughs> See, the
1: reason I tried the kale was because of the fiber. And people were like, yeah, kale, good for you. Fiber, vitamin K, all that good stuff. Clot, like yeah, Wolverine. But at the end of the day, I was like, look, man, meals are getting miserable.
0: I, I got to enjoy what I'm
1: eating. <laughs> exactly. I still like kale in... Normal human dosing. Moderation
0: in all things.
1: Exactly. But, oh, man. I would fail as a gorilla.
0: <laughs> I would
1: fail hard as a gorilla.
0: Thank heavens for that. Better eat a rhesus monkey. <laughs> if you turned into a gorilla, I'd be worried. I mean, there was almost a G-unit reference. I'm almost. Just gonna, We're, we'll, we'll hold off on that, too.
1: But that that's, that's the claim. Ultimately, that's the claim from a philosophical standpoint of our work. It's a metaphysical, that's a big word, claim. Metaphysics being the nature of a thing, the nature of reality. The nature of reality, according to Still, was that in order to be healthy, the best thing we can do was move well, um, eat sparingly, and then when things go wrong, have somebody put the parts back in line in order to facilitate the free movement of the various fluids in our system because so long as those those fluids can do the thing they got to do, what's going to happen? We'll be all right.
0: That's that's, pretty cool. That's why I say computers are going to be the death of us. I'm not talking about Skynet here. You're talking about silos. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm talking about sitting at our computers all day for eight hours a day, and we're not moving, and our body's not doing what it's supposed to do. You know, a lot of the movement of fluid is related directly to uh, the use of muscles, and if we're not using our muscles, we're not moving fluids. If we're not moving fluids, everything's staying static. It's killing us. Right, right. So I know we talk about it a lot, especially um,
1: in, I think it was that fifth episode of our show, we go, we go on full to talk about how movement is life. This entire segment is really just designed to tell you, yeah, we mean it, for real, movement is life, and here's the both conceptual and biologic reasons for why. But the reason we harp on that so much is because it's something that's underappreciated in the current context. It's so easy to forget that things get better if you move, not necessarily more, but move well. What does well mean? I don't know. That's kind of dependent on the person. One person might be a gymnast, the other person might be a powerlifter. One person probably gets enough work doing farm work, but there's no version that looks good on a chair.
0: Like no, nothing, all of it, nothing yeah. looks good on a chair. Right, and uh, it's it's sad because we forget. We forget even how to breathe. I can't tell you how many patients I've had come in and we we talk about breathing, and you forget. Sure, it's an automatic. Everyone's going to breathe, whether or not they think about it. But are they going to breathe effectively or efficiently without thinking about it? one of the keys to what we do is teaching people to go back to their roots and start breathing again. That's really built into yoga, mindfulness, Pilates, some of these positional-based exercises, Tai Chi, right. um, martial arts as well. Breathing is key, and we're not doing it well enough. Right. And when
1: the capacity to breathe is what is distorted, maybe we should be focusing on that. There was a patient I was taking care of, and... uh. It's a, it's, a weird, it's a weird meta story. She asked to be mentioned on the show, actually, because of how good she got, and she kind of likes our show, so that kind of worked out nicely. We can give her a shout-out to her. I mean, <laughs> HIPAA and all that stuff. I'll just The story is going to be evident enough, so hey, yeah, let's I, I listened. Congratulations, you're on the show. Sweet. So I met this lady a couple months back. What ended up happening was she was a, she was a pain consult, essentially. She had uh, neck pain, shoulder pain, a, l- a little bit of back pain, but really it was neck and shoulder pain for her. And I meet her. I, we start talking. I try oh, tell me your story. What's going on? And she tells me she's had over thirty surgeries over the past three years. Ouch! What happened? She got into a bad motor vehicle accident. Okay, that'll do it to you. Right. So the first surgeries were mostly you know save her life. She didn't right. die. Congratulations. We're good. Still breathing in that case. Was, yeah, right. It was reconstructive stuff to salvage back her body. She had so many trachs Then she's been intimated so many times. So
0: she's had all sorts of tubes in her and her uh, larynx. Then.
1: Right. Right. This lady she gained i think north of 80 pounds over the course of just over two years because she wasn't able to do anything because for very legitimate trauma traumatic reasons she couldn't move all she could eat was insure because look when your parts don't work all you can get was the tube feed she was on parental for a while which is fancy for we feed you through a hole and she put on a lot of weight now I need to give credit where it's due. She's alive because of that.
0: Yeah, she was saved because of modern medical techniques.
1: But now that everything's said and done, she's coming to me like, look, I'm alive, but this isn't me. The phrasing she used was, this isn't my body. How can I How can I do better? So I lie her down. I'm like, all right, let's check this out. I didn't think to make anything of it at the time. I was like, all right, let's 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 see what's out of place. Let's see if this, you know, oh, wow, your neck is really tight. Oh, wow, your shoulders, this, mm-hmm. that, and the other thing. I'm thinking strict biomechanical because the history makes sense, you know, all the yeah. surgeries. and. I have no reason to think Scarring, otherwise. Scarring,
0: fascial binding, all sorts of stuff wasn't moving like it was supposed to because it, it was tightened up. Precisely, and I go, all right, lie down,
1: because after a while I moved enough stuff with her seated, I wanted to lie down on her back so I can get a sense of, uh, there's a technique we do, we, we joke it's a steering wheel. Technique yeah, for the yeah. For the place where the outlet. neck meets the shoulders, right? Yeah, yeah, Like you do that seated, sure. so I'm like, sit, lie down, lie down, and we'll take care of you. And then when she lies down, man, I watched her breathe, and there's no way for... I'm going to try to articulate this well vocally because I wish I could just show it to you. She would scrunch up her lips up into her nostrils, and she would look up with her chin almost towards the sky, and she would inhale as hard as she could through her nose. As she inhaled through her nose, she would have to lift her back, her neck, and her shoulders, and her arms just a little bit just to get enough air to feel comfortable. And then she would exhale and do it again, and she was breathing, I think, her respiratory rate somewhere in the, it wasn't, it was, she wasn't kidnik. she wasn't breathing rapidly.
0: So her lips weren't blue yet, but right, they right, but you could been... tell she was
1: working for her air. Yeah. And I'm looking at her like, yo, you always breathe like that? She goes, what do you mean? She goes, you breathe kind of funny. It's I actually like you're it through a, yeah, uh, we, a straw. Right, we had good rapport. I can, I can poke fun a little bit. She goes, I go, you breathe kind of funny. She goes, oh, I didn't know that. And then I go, let me see if I can do anything about that. So mm-hmm. we use some of that, uh, what, the cranial craniofacial training we do. Right, right, right. I put my hand into her mouth. Um, and the other one is palpating over something called the uh, the nasion, this area. Yeah, the bones right of the between nose. the eyes, right over the yep. nose. Yep. And that entire thing is grossly not like uh, oh, little somatic dysfunction. I'm talking like
0: shorn back by half a centimeter. Let me guess, uh, she hit an airbag. She hit the steering wheel, man. Also, oh, no airbag. Right. Oh yeah, so that what that would do is that would force all of the bones of the face backwards. Right. as the face was going forwards into the steering wheel.
1: Right, so I'm like, look, she, her face got traumatized. She knows this, I know this now, and it shows in the architecture of her nostril parts. And right. I'm like, let me just see if this helps you at all. So this, I'm not gonna pretend this is a permanent solution, but I kind of like jiggled the random parts of the face, I moved a couple things just to see if it would help, and she starts to breathe without using that big scrunchy lip thing. She's still rising her shoulders up, but she's, her face, her jaw relaxes. Now I'm like, all right, good for you. Let's go from here. So I look at her neck next. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man, this is, I do not recommend our DO med students do what I just, what I'm going to say next, by the way. <laughs> <It's> not <laughs> do that not it's, try this at home. Right. It's not that it's bad <laughs> or wrong. It's that unless you have a good sense of the anatomy, do not yeah, don't, do not don't mess with this just yeah. without, with, just randomly. One of the rings of her trachea was meaningfully offline. Okay. Like so. it was, Deviate. It was straight deviated. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I know you don't have a, I know you don't have a pneumothorax because you're breathing and you're not desatting on me, but your trachea is crooked. I know you've been intubated. Like how many times? She's like, ah, something teen. I forget the exact number. We'll call it fifteen. Ouch. And I'm like, let me just try something. Worst case scenario, you fire me, okay? And she goes, all right. So, I basically put her in a position where I can do like a low velocity, um, thrust.
0: So you're kind of balancing the The tensions uh, in her neck. For her trachea For her trachea, yeah, because it was just yeah.
1: like grossly out of whack. And then I heard this, I felt this click pop. I heard this gasp of air <gasps> and I'm like, I'm fired. <laughs> but then she looks at me, she does this thing, like she kind of like smacks her lips a little bit and then she takes a really deep breath without rising her chest and I'm like, no way. You just totally no removed the restriction. Yeah, so I'm like, sit up. She goes, I feel great, doc. And I'm like, good for you? Like, how good? She goes, I feel great, doc. I'm like, nah, who sent you? So I saw her two weeks after. Who's afterwards. your master? Exactly. <laughs> like, are you a plant? <laughs> My boss a, sent you. You're a, you're a spy, aren't you? Right, right. So she sees me again in two weeks. Doc, I still feel great. She sees me again in a month. Doc, I still feel great. And guess what? I started dancing again. I'm like, no, really, who sent you? Yeah, yeah, right. But um, she. What, what ended up happening was once she got the ability to breathe freely again, one, her neck pain and shoulder pain just melted because good for her. That makes sense, right? Yeah. But she had so much energy back because she wasn't wasting it all trying to breathe that she started doing her thing again. She's dropped about, to date, I think about 60 of the 80 pounds she gained from that hell. Well, it's amazing what her. you can
0: do when you finally get oxygen. When she told me she started dancing again, I'm like, you got to be a plant. <laughs> she, was, she was dancing on the ceiling. Dude, she was so Lionel Richie going on there. There you go. That's in
1: I see her every three months now. Good. And it's really just to make sure everything's going well. And there's not much for me to do anymore. She's healing. She's still scarred up. She's still torn. She still has just, work
0: to be done, but right. it's not the same. It's not the same complexity anymore.
1: And that's just from breathing. That's just straight breath, because you know, trachea. Eh. And but, it's a breath of fresh air, is what that is. Sorry for the guys who don't speak, doctor. Um, the trachea is the windpipe.
0: Yeah, that's your breathing tube.
1: Yeah, I probably should have clarified that in the beginning. The trachea is your windpipe.
0: And if it's not if it's not working the way it's supposed to, bad things happen. Any of you out there who are like me who have sleep apnea know, apnea, you don't feel well when you're not getting oxygen at night, let alone during the day. You wake up with headaches, f- brain fog, concentration issues, even emotional issues in some cases where you're just your brain's not working like it's supposed to. So it's amazing that once you just free up the pathway to get oxygen to your brain and to your body, your body all of a sudden can heal again. Oxygen is one of those key components of our system that if we don't have it, we're not going to have health. Right, so, I mean, hooray for osteopathic strategies,
1: right? All the meds in the world, but at the end of the day, what it took for that patient and several other patients you and I have taken care of in the time since recording the last episode of the last season, we're mechanical. The reason they find us is because they've tried everything else, and lo and behold, they're mechanical. We're the weird docs in this system. We're the ones people go like, look, man, I got nothing else to offer you. Uh, check out those guys. Worst case scenario, they'll figure something out, and if they can, there's really nothing. There's, there's weird pressure and prestige to that idea. It's, wow, those folks trust us enough to solve their, what you call, unsolvables. And I'm like, that's a big deal. And then you find out, nah, man, that's our lineage from day one. Hashtag, that's
0: weird is good. <laughs>
1: Here's a fun fact. Not every disease only hurts the uh, the young and the elderly, or the frail, I should say. Some pathologies do the most damage to those who are most robustly healthy. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about the Spanish flu. The way the Spanish flu works is that the more robust your immune system, the more damage it gets done to your body. And that's, that's painful. That sucks. The reason that does so much damage is because You have such a robust immune response, but remember, the battlefield in this context is your body. And uh, when you have a really strong armamentarium and you fight hard, that earth is scorched. Now, the cool thing that I want to mention, the part that makes this a fun fact, not a tragic fact, is it turns out osteopathic medicine earned some notoriety because those patients who went to the osteopathic hospitals because of the Spanish flu seemed to die less. The question is, what were these osteopathic doctors doing? They were doing of a series of manual therapy techniques. I used therapy this time because back then the words were kind of blended together. But what ended up happening was the things that became manual treatment, manual therapy for the chest, for Spanish flu, evolved into the present day, into what we do for chest PT in modern medicine. Once upon a time, we fought flu and pneumonia with our hands. And we won.
0: Now we're gonna shift focus a little bit, going back to medications, because we we can't ignore them. We are not truly drugless anymore, because there has been, admittedly, some real advancements in medications, and we use them when they're needed. For example, we have a patient who has raging arthritis. There is nothing that we are going to manipulate to make the arthritis completely go away, so using anti-inflammatories and other medications to treat the appropriate condition will be part of our armamentarium we have to understand where dr still came from the drugs that were available in his time were really nasty for the most part now granted he had some aspirin going along and that was useful he had quinine uh, for as an anti-malarial but most everything else not so great i mean they they sounded
1: cool, like in a let's try to make the philosopher's stone kind of sense. <laughs> like, um, oh no, now we're going Harry Potter. I mean, calomel, man, it's straight mercury. Right, like it, it's actually straight mercury.
0: I um, mean, the techniques we had were make them throw up, make them have diarrhea, or drain them of their blood. Right, and then which was probably what killed President Washington. Right, and th- there was an honest idea to that. the The reason that those were the
1: therapies was because the idea was that the sooner and the more vigorously you can correct the symptoms, the better the patient got faster. So like, if they had a fever, break the fever. If they have an upset stomach, empty the stomach, so on and so forth. So the medicine we did was purgative in nature. The heroic medicine was, to be heroic in medicine terms was to do something. The something we did was to purge. So, calomel was the vomiting drug. Mm -hmm. I honestly forget what the diarrhea drug was, but whatever it was,
0: it wasn't pretty either. No, you don't want to be in that cabin. Right, right.
1: <laughs> one of the big moves, and there were folks who made their entire career doing this specific maneuver was bloodletting. Right. And I looked into it because I'm like, all right, how bad could bloodletting be? Not that it could be good in this context, but like how, how, how do they do it? Because the details always matter, right? Because there's a difference between the different mercuries. Some mercuries are benign. Some are not benign. we were eating the not benign one. What if they were only bleeding out like, I don't know, yeah, you know, like a few ounces, a few, a ounces. Right, a, a few right. drops. Right. How bad could it be? So, I was looking at the literature at the time, and the goal was to bloodlet until the patient felt a vague euphoria was the terminology used. Basically, till they were about passing out. Actually, when I clarified what a vague euphoria was, it was actually syncope.
0: <laughs> so, Syncope's and,
1: doctor for pass out, by the way. Yeah,
0: knock them out by draining all. And, you know, we know it's, it's, that's not a good sign when you've lost so much blood that you're passing out. Right, right. That
1: euphoria they're talking about, that's called hypoxia. And I'll tell you right now, I know what that feels like because once upon a time I was practicing for a stage performance thing, and one of the things one of the other actors, performers had to do was essentially practice choking me out on stage.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad they weren't bloodletting you on stage. They weren't, that would be a very, a bad, very different kind of show. I would show. be wondering what kind of show you were in. Nah, this is college, man. It was <laughs> oh, the, the college campus approved. Uh, yeah, we'll leave that well enough alone too.
1: Right, but the thing was we, we had to figure out how to make um, Making me look like I'm strangling on stage look realistic, which unfortunately to
0: wait wait this wasn't Flatliners was it?
1: No no no. <laughs> solid solid recommendation. But no, it was for like a like a martial arts thing. Like a okay, guy had somebody okay. with, a, with a bat and that it was a whole story. But at some point I had to get choked out by a dude and I never been choked out in that context. So it's kind of like how do I make this look right? So four or five headlocks later, we're all kind of giggly and high from the hypoxia. So the medical therapy in the late 19th century was to induce a euphoria from hypoxia. They weren't choking each other out, but they bleed you dry.
0: Oof. And here comes Dr. Still saying, now, wait a second, we need oxygen. Clearly,
1: not clearly a heretic. <laughs> clearly. But that, those were the moves he had. Like getting off the humor, That that was the option. It was, hey, you're sick, got it, here's your toys. And this guy goes... I don't like these toys, man. I want to play a different game. Ah, they
0: weren't working. A- and it was interesting. There was this interplay. We had the the allopaths who were taking, doing some medications at high dose. And then you had the homeopaths that were doing minute doses of um, uh, compounds that were supposed to be creating the same symptoms they were trying to fix. Right. And everyone's kind of going, okay, which is going to be the way to go?
1: Right. And people really like the homeopaths, actually. and. There's a difference between doing better because you did a better job healing and doing better because you didn't do as much damage. (laughs) You didn't do as much damage as the next guy, so your patients got better at a higher rate. Right. So, when you dilute mercury to one part per quadrillion, it's pretty benign versus when you're drinking straight calomel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get nearly the uh, same side effects, you know, like death.
1: Right. So, back in this timeline, uh, homeopathic medicine was actually built into the traditional model. So you would get your traditional training as a physician trained in the European model by an apprenticeship in the Americas, and then you go, you know what? I want to take this a step further. I want to do, we'd probably call this a fellowship by now.
0: Uh, in yeah, our, in yeah, our modern yeah, language. homeopathic uh, medical schools.
1: Right, right, right. So they would go like, I need to get some extra training, and they'd learn the, the homeopathic materia medica. That's their book of, I guess, yeah, which. Their,
0: their medical book. Exactly,
1: it's the you book know, of medicine. which substance to yeah. which symptom. Yeah. And then they'd go to practice. and you would do that as an add-on to your medical uh, life, not as a separate path. It wasn't until the Civil War uh, that things got really split up, and then the mm-hmm. homeopaths became their own thing, and the traditional guys became their own thing. The word allopath didn't exist until that split, and then the homeopaths needed a word to call the other guys. So they called them allopaths. Right, right, because according to the homeopath docs, we're the ones who treat by mimicking the symptoms, and you're the ones who treat by doing the opposite, purging. So to purge was allopathic. allopathic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But
0: notice, these are the moves available at the time. We're a little limited. And uh, Dr. Still actually lost several of his family members to meningitis because there was nothing that could be done. Right. all of the best medicine was used to treat his family. And to no avail, they died regardless of what treatment was applied and and regardless of who treated them. Right. And that um, jaded Dr. Still significantly. It shaded the too.
1: frontier as a whole. The Americans yeah. in the frontier. So there's a difference between medicine in the East Coast in the university setting and medicine, yeah, academic medicine west versus, of the
0: Appalachians. Yeah, folk medicine.
1: Right. And I remember reading it was uh, Frederick Douglass's book, I think, mm-hmm. the, uh, the American Frontier book. Mm-hmm. And there was a general sense of pitying the physician in the West because. You know they're trying to do right. You know they're trying to do God's work. Half the time, the doctors are preachers, by the way. Yeah, well,
0: they they did both because they couldn't make a living doing either one. Exactly. (laughs) And
1: in spite of all of their genuine concern and care and the best training they could muster, half the time the treatment was worse than the cure, and they would die anyway. So you go, what's the point here? It was Um, a
0: very nihilistic version of medicine. Yeah, uh, part of the difficulty is they didn't really understand the genesis of much of what was killing people. Right. They were thinking um, natural components or, or humors, right, um, were off or there was something in the environment that they were breathing in or coming into their system. And they didn't know, they, there was no germ therapy theory just yet. It was just in, in, in its infant stages Right, when uh, Dr. Steele started practicing medicine. And there was still very, very much a lot of uh, assumption about anatomy based on poor anatomical um, Uh, constructs up to that time. Right. A lot of supposition that was incorrect or uh, misunderstood.
1: Correct. Remember we're still in the timeline where a seizure was to be possessed by a demon. Yeah. That's the timeline we're talking
0: about here guys. Hence both the the itinerant preacher who is also the itinerant doctor. Indeed. So it was against this specific backdrop that
1: the various 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 non Non pharmacologic, non apothecaryish. The word pharmacologic wasn't really a word at the time. That's why I'm hesitant to use it. But let's say the non-intervention they, versions. Yeah, they weren't of using as therapeutics. Right. The non-therapeutics. So we, there you go. We had
0: people like the French Mesmer, who was using magnetic healing. Hence the term mesmerize. Um, trying to fix people with things that you couldn't actually see. Right. There were the hydropaths, which is your pet favorite from what yeah, I understand. Yeah. The, the, the
1: healing by bathing. Right, Who right. knew the bathing was good for you? Right. And they, they took it a little far because there's a difference between, you know what, you'd probably be infected a whole lot less if you just washed up every now and again versus, you know what, the best treatment for pneumonia is what you got to do is soak in a cold bath, wrap yourself up in a cold blanket, soak the cold blanket, wait out in the sun and see what happens. Or lie naked in the cold weather outside. Right. Hydropathy. That died out for a reason. Yes. The other cool one was heliop- heliopathy or heliopaths, the ones who figured that the sun would heal everything because, you know, sun good, disease bad. Right. More sun equals more good. Therefore, more sun equals not sunburns, but, yo, know,
0: sunburns. Well, you know, sunlight meaning we make more vitamin D. Right. Sunlight can be deadly to some types of bacteria. Right. And yeah, it had a place right. for and, sure. And then um what was that guy, recent stuff, uh, that Norman
1: Deutsch fella, He mm-hmm. um, the the body that heals itself guy? Right, right. There isn't uh, there is a genuine argument for, you know, heliopathy for sun therapy for phototherapy but great again, for seasonal affective disorder. Right. Time place context these things matter. These guys were trying to fight pneumonia with the sun and they lost. Yeah, it didn't work out so well. Right. <laughs> but again, this is not because of some random quackery. This wasn't because people were just, you know, in the dark ages in regards to wanting to look for better. It's because they were so dissatisfied with what they had and they knew the tools they had were wrong that there was this mad search for something that was better. It was only by some coincidental fortune because, you know, great places in history,
0: great men plus the forces of right behind. timing, a little bit of luck, a right, lot of, right, bit of right. preparation. A- and Dr. Still, in his case, he did a lot of preparation. He, did a, he was a very learned man, not from the academic standpoint, but just from his own personal studies. It's lots of studying in uh, anatomy, physiology, and philosophy all combined together to be the perfect storm, quote unquote, if you will, for someone who would do something amazing. Right. It's funny you mention perfect storm
1: because the image we often use is a lightning bolt ram. Right. But we'll get to that. (laughs) The point being... A bolt from the blue. There you go. Medicine was so genuinely broken at that time that the best thing to do was to look for better. So the reason that the original osteopaths were adamantly, vehemently drugless was because they knew that to go back on the drug was not necessary to compromise. It wasn't like, oh man, maybe there'd be room for both. It was to give up on the better way and to slip back into what amounted to the dark ages. Remember, in Sweden, they called American docs quacks because they
0: gave calomel. Which was uh, based on a Dutch... Uh, a term, I think it was a Dutch term for uh, mercury. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's that circularness is just fun for me. <laughs> so,
1: a lot has happened since literally 1870, whichever, for the specific drug we're talking about. But what ends up happening is we've come a long way. We've developed a lot of sincerely useful medications in the timeline post-1870-something or other. I keep saying 1870-something or other because 1874 specifically is a very important date for not the banner of osteopathy, but for certain other schools of medicine. Mm-hmm. But dude, I, I actually wrote this down. Now I want you guys to know, every now and again we print show notes and they help us with things. These are things I just don't like to memorize. So let me talk to you guys about the things that got made in short order. The time that osteopathy was a thing was before aspirin. It was before insulin, before metformin, before penicillin. Aspirin didn't come out till 1899. Insulin, right? Insulin wasn't until 1921. Metformin was the year afterwards, but the Americas did not take it until the 1950s. So it was a while before a lot of
0: these became available. Right,
1: right. Insulin was banned. I'm oh, sorry, metformin was banned until the late 90s because of a whole slew of other reasons. But in the Euro- European countries, they were using it in the 1950s. But again, that's less than a century ago. Penicillin was 1928. The polio vaccine was 1953. These are all really, really
0: Recent discoveries. Well, and even back in that time, we we had some vaccinations. Uh, the smallpox vaccination, right, uh, inoculation, was available in the 1700s, but people didn't trust it. Uh, the process to just get that vaccination started in the 1700s required some pretty uh, courageous. Uh, actions by some renegade doctors, really, in the United States, right, to convince people that maybe they should vaccinate against uh, smallpox. So, yeah, there were. A, there, this was a long time before we had some of the therapeutics that we now know work so well, even ibuprofen. Right, uh, that was pretty late on the scene compared to other things. Yeah, vitamin Advil, like <laughs> yeah, vitamin N, <laughs> or vitamin M. Excuse me, as we there called it in the
1: military. Oh man, so much ibuprofen, man. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that that ex- that these meds are very new developments the things that our country is brightly built on like they say americans america's built on dunkin i say dunkin and insulin at this point
0: yeah dunkin donuts <laughs> <laughs> that'll be its own topic oh uh, okay but this show is not funded by dunkin donuts just to tell you right now well if we were we'd lose it right now cuz we're <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be totally against what we're about <laughs> exactly but
1: what we're saying is the reason that osteopath osteopathy was so so focused on the hands, so focused on the movement, so against drugs and vaccines. At once upon a time we were genuinely against vaccines was because the quality and the trust in those things was negligible to anybody with a half rational mind. Right. But look man, it's the twenty first century. We have Wi Fi now.
0: That's kinda cool. It's very cool in many ways. So the question
1: ends up becoming something like how does this old version of medicine fit into the modern context.
0: Yeah, because uh, Dr. Still himself refused to see patients who'd taken any medications before they came to see him. Right. He said that he wanted them just be completely clean of any other treatment. He wanted to just use the bodies built-in components and not to have it interfered with by anything else. That is a far cry from what we do nowadays. If someone comes in and tells me, well, I took some Advil this week. Get out of my office. Yeah, right. No, no Advil for you. I'll keep the cocaine. Yeah, right. It was like, no, yeah, we'll still treat it. We we see a value for it. We just put it in a context that is not drug first and everything else second.
1: Right. And then, Where do we go? What's this idea I'm trying to articulate? What ends up happening is now that the drugs are useful, like sincerely useful, right? There's a very big temptation to abandon some of the older stuff because you can you can chalk it up to, you know, back in back in their day they had to use their hands, man. But look how far we've come. We got the meds now, and then you can let the skill set die, right? Because you know, osteopathy is so much more than just the hands. It's it's a mindset and all that good stuff. Right. It is a philosophy. It's a philosophical approach. Right. And then. I mean, technically, if you're good at osteopathic manipulation as a skill set for medicine work, then, you know, in case The Walking Dead becomes the new reality, we might be good to go because, yo, hands, penicillin, but what happens in real life? In real life, is it still still worth the skill set? Is it still worth the time? Because we spend a lot of time practicing this stuff. You and I specifically carved out an entire year of our career to practice it.
0: Yes, and there are very few medications that are 100% effective. You know, you look at all of the studies looking at medications, they all say a certain percentage of patients don't get better. Or if they do get better, it's only a certain percentage of improvement. It's not foolproof. We have patients all the time that come and say, well, I've been on this medication and this medication and this medication and this medication, and I'm still sore or I'm on this medication, but I hate the side effects. I feel drowsy, I get constipated, I don't feel the same. And so we recognize that there is value in what we do simply because there are limitations of every other therapy out there. Right,
1: and in the same way we're limited, so is OxyContin. Right. I'm just gonna go straight for the kill on that. I'll huh? I'd go for it, <laughs> Purdue. We're talking
0: about you here. I mean, but
1: that's the thing, cause the most obvious way to make sense of where this skill set comes into play is in the management of pain, right? Chronic right. pain. Now, there's more to us than chronic pain. We were not pain doctors at first, right? No, we
0: were treating everything.
1: But let's 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 go. Let's play on easy mode for a second. Let's talk about the most obvious place. You can have opiates, or you can have us, or you can have movement.
0: And guess what? You can't overdose on us. You, you can, technically. It's <laughs> called a punch to the face. But <laughs> and we don't, we don't go that route.
1: Right, right, right. If we're dosing you at punching level, then you can sue us. It's OK. <laughs> but think about that for a second. The, a lot of the pathologies we have now are very different from the pathologies we were dealing with, or the collective we were dealing with mm. in mm. the 19th century. We don't have plague anymore. Like, if we talk about deadly sins and whatnot, right? If we talk right. about the thing that was reaping humanity, it's not plague and pestilence stuff anymore. It's not famine anymore. Not in the same way, not in this
0: environment. It's sloth stuff. Well, you know, the funny thing about all that, we look at all of these improvements in, me- in society from a health standpoint, and they weren't even because of medications. They were because of improved sanitation, right? improved hygiene, improved quality of water, You know, vaccines have helped significantly in some ways, but if you look at a lot of the trends of the reduction in pandemics, it closely parallels changes in health policy. Right. Public health is kind of... Public health has really been... And the side effect is now we're living longer and we're more sedentary. You know, we've, we've had a lot of innovation in society where machines are doing our jobs now. Uh, Jobs are automated. We're seeing actually a lot of lost jobs due to automation, but we're automated so we don't have to be physically active. And so now we're facing an epidemic of sedentary uh, side effects, if you will. And oddly enough,
1: the cure for sedentariness, sedentarism? (laughs) Sedentarism. Oddly enough. Hashtag sedentarism. There you go. We got it. Because the question is, what's the place for us, right? What's the place for the movement docs? And if the current pathology is root cause sedentarism, then the treatment is movement. We're back on our turf. So the treatment isn't medication, right? You can't the, the kill away, way you know couch start potato
0: doing the way you're doing what you're designed to do. Right. We are designed to run. We are designed to be active. To struggle. To struggle. Yes. To to push that that stone up the up the mountain to push against that rock.
1: Right. And that's not to say because again there's a pendulum to swing here, and I'm doing my best to keep it right at neutral. Because there's a difference between, yo know, man, civilization makes us weak. We got to go back to Stone Age stuff, paleo all the way. Right, keto man. Right, like I, I like the paleo thing, but there's a difference between making intelligent use of a tool and going, you know what? Here's the thing I like Starbucks, man.
0: I like ice I cream. I like Starbucks and I like Wi Fi. There's, there's no such thing as a true paleo ice cream. Right, I know. <laughs>
2: I've, I've searched. We've Sur- searched.
1: Yes. But we have gotten somewhat more sick because of the pathologies of being sedentary. Right. But we traded plague and pestilence for sloth, but we have the means to still act the old way. The question is, how do we move in a way that takes care of our bodies in an environment that doesn't need us to do so? Right. And that's a hard question to ask. That's a hard question to answer, I should say, because this becomes optional. Health
0: now becomes optional. And it's unfortunate. It's, uh, I, there are choices that we can make. For example, in, in my own life, I used to do a lot of heavy weightlifting. I've gotten away from that. But what I do for exercise is I park a mile away from the office now. I make sure I walk the stairs every time I go up anything. I try to avoid the elevator. I was at a hotel just uh, a couple of weeks ago and I was on the 14th floor. And you know, sure enough, I walked the stairs for most of it. It was crazy, right. but it was, it was great. And when I was too busy to do a scheduled routine, I at least got 28 flights of steps, if not more, uh, on any given day. And the choices that we make may influence our health significantly. Right. I
1: think it was Camus who said that Sisyphus should consider himself lucky. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, look, his punishment is you need to go lift. Yeah. I'll take it. I mean, uh, <laughs> And most of us
0: are like, when am I going to have time to go lift, right? He was tied to a rock. It was pretty Right. <laughs> he was pretty ripped. <laughs> right.
1: But how do we put it all together? We have the benefits of modernity. We don't have to throw away the old stuff. If we keep the old stuff and put it to the new stuff, we have basically a way to thrive and live basically kind of nobly, kind of strongly in the current environment. What does that mean practically? Um, there's a case that we like to use to teach the med students at our school. Um, it's a common one enough during our rotation back when you and I were running the hospital service, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a thing called congestive heart failure. Right. What ends up happening is your heart, because it is unable to pump for whatever reason, we won't get too deep into those woods for now, blood backs up specifically on the venous side, on the vein side. Right. Because the, so much The
0: water pump like from your car. Exactly.
1: Dies. And because that blood backs up, fluid begins to accumulate. Because fluid begins to accumulate, it begins to extravasate out into the legs and then they get fluid overloaded. That makes sense. So we give them a drug called Lasix. Lasix is a furosemide for those who want to speak generic because look, man, med students listen to us. They might as well pass their boards too, I guess.
0: You know it as a water pill.
1: Exactly, the water pill drug. What happens is it makes you urinate. It makes you pee out the excess fluid. But think about that for a second. For you to pee out that fluid, your kidneys pull the fluid from your blood, which means that the fluid that's being pulled is in your um, bl- arteries or veins. What if the fluid is in your arteries or veins? It's in your lymph. How do you get it back there? That's where this stuff comes in. There's techniques we run, the lymphatic pump, the splotic pump, a trampoline, a trampoline. Yes, where are we going with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sincerely. It's not what you think it is. Yeah. But what would happen is we can get that fluid from the interstitium, from the soft tissue space, back into the vasculature, back into the arteries and veins, and now the LASIKs can reach it. Right. The OMT now augments the medicine, which augments the OMT. They work
0: together. Right. They're, they're synergistic. All right, right. With your science and my magic combined. <laughs> <laughs> a wave of the ma- the wand, and it's amazing what happens. There you go.
1: But that's 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 what we are now. We're not the drugless guys we used to be. And to try to put the genie back in the bottle is, um, that just never works, man. That's just not a move. Uh,
0: it's Every it's a bad thing movie. I've read. That, 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 that movie's in my head now. Thank exactly.
1: <laughs> but at the same time, it's not... Appropriate to abandon such a refined skill set.
0: So That's what we do our history will save us and our, our Innovation will move us forward and we'll work together for that and it's a beautiful thing what we do um, Come and find us. We'll help you find the problems fix the problems and then we'll leave them alone and that is Our next episode. Thank you for listening to Rolling bones the osteopathic podcast join us in two weeks We're gonna talk soul the soul of osteopathy.
2: Thank you for listening to Roland Bones, the Osteopathic Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Roland Bones Pod, or shoot us an email at Bonespod at gmail.com. That's R O L L I N Bones P O D. Roland Bones is brought to you by the University of North Texas and Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine. Producer Rob Upchurch and medical advisor Dr. Saj Survey contributed to this podcast. Medicine is a constantly changing science and art with various approaches from practitioner to practitioner. This podcast presents the Rollin' Bones doctor's views of osteopathic medicine and osteopathic manipulative treatment and will be as evidence-based as possible. Comments, suggestions, or correction of errors are welcome. No money from drug or device companies is accepted. By listening to this podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This applies to the hosts, guests, and contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall James Aston, Dante Paredes, Saj Survey, podcast producers, the University of North Texas, Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine or any guests or contributors to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast. This blog or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast. This podcast is HIPAA compliant. While you may give your email address to make comments or requests, we will never share your email address or contact information with any third parties without your explicit permission.